It is great to be together with God's people. It's really good. You can say with the psalmist, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Athanasius in the fourth century said that the Psalms held a unique place in the Bible. Why? He said, because while most of the scripture speaks to us, the Psalms speak for us. I'd like to begin our message by reading to you Psalm 92. If you'll allow me, I'm going to emphasize the personal pronouns. I, my, me, you, yours, him, and they. As I read this portion of scripture, I also want you to take notice, if you're reading from the ESV, that the title of this psalm is a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. And by the way, this psalm holds precious A precious place for me. 1979, 30 years ago this fall, I was a freshman at Clemson. A guy named Stu Johnston wanted to help disciple me in the Lord. And he helped me memorize the psalm. We did it together. And I hope maybe that you'll do that with someone. By the way, why is a psalm or a melody equated with a song? Well, it's easy. The psalms... We're Israel's hymn book. You might think of the Trinity hymnal, the red one that's in your pew, as ours. But Israel considered their collection of psalms as their own hymn book. But here's a catch. There's a fellow in our Trinity hymnal who in his late 60s, early 70s, his name is Edmund Clowney. He wrote seven songs that were published in the Trinity hymnal. And he wrote a book called The Church, which I loaned to Pastor Self a year ago. I haven't gotten it back, and I meant to ask you about that. But he says that the church, what identifies the church is that we are called together as a worshiping community. We are called as a nurturing community. We extend our hands and our hearts in fellowship to one another. We're a witnessing community. We bring the gospel To the world. And his point that we're a worshiping community. Is first and foremost. We worship our Lord. And something unique has happened. Our creator for us. Has become our redeemer. Think back to just a few minutes ago. When Jamie read from John 4. And Jesus was speaking. With the woman at the well. And he says this, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Let me read the psalm to us. Psalm 92. A song, a song for the Sabbath. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your 
steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. To the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, that's Yahweh, by the way, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured fresh oil over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are full of sap or ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Well, why have I entitled this message on Psalm 92 as the Christian's declaration of dependence? Contrary to popular belief, guess what? You and I are not as independent as we think. We're really quite dependent, aren't we? Get really sick. Lose a job. Have a mate leave you. Have a son or daughter reject the faith that you've instructed them in since they were a child. We are dependent. And here's why. Let's look at this psalm together. First, I want you to notice that the psalmist begins here in thankful worship. And he makes the point in the first three verses of a threefold worship that he intends is good. And it's really wonderful in the Hebrew. It's very simple. He just says tov. That's the word for good. It's not like in English where it says it is good. It just says good. Good. It is good, he says. And then he says three things under this heading of it is good. Number one, it is good, he says, to give thanks. And by the way, it's in verse three here that there's this first declaration that the psalmist makes, and that is, of the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. There is, in effect, there's two declarations, I say, of dependence in Psalm 92. In verse 3, he declares this wonderful word, chesed, or the steadfast love 
of God. And then we'll see later that in verse 15, he says that you are upright. He says, the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there's no unrighteousness in him. So it's like there are two bookends to this psalm. They're both declarations. And they're declarations of dependence. Don't miss that. In a declaration, the idea here is this reporting or telling of the covenant love, this kessed of the real covenant keeping God, Yahweh. And it's a reporting, it's a telling that's all day, morning to evening, sunrise to sunset, from the moment our eyes open till they close for good. From the first moment, we put our feet out from our bed onto the floor till, we'll, till when we pull them in at night. And this declaration of the steadfast love of God should be woven into the fabric of our lives. I want you to see also in verse 4 that he explains to the Lord the reason for his giving of thanks. And I want to... So you look here in Psalm 92, just pointing out before actually we get to verse four, I want you to see in the first three verses what he says is good. Three things. Number one, to give thanks to the Lord. Second, to sing praises. He says to your name, Elion, O Most High. And thirdly is to declare your steadfast love in the morning, in your faithfulness by night. And I love this, you know, the little preposition in there. You could say it this way, to declare your steadfast love with the morning and your faithfulness in the night. You know, I love to go out, and some of you have the same thing. You have a patio or screen and porch. I love to go out there in the morning with my Bible and a cup of coffee. And it's everything is green. And you hear the birds and you know that the day has dawned and you're experiencing a God who gives steadfast love. It's morning to evening. And this is what he says in verse four. He says, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work at the works of your hands. I sing for joy. The truth is, verse 4 offers an explanation for why the psalmist says these three things, giving thanks to the Lord, singing praises to His name, declaring His steadfast love with the morning and in the night are good. He says the reason it's good is that God has made him glad. I want you to see also in verses 5 to 9, if you'll glance there just for a moment. And here the psalmist contrasts the greatness of God, who he says endures forever with the foolishness of, of men who are doomed to destruction forever. And then verses 10 and 11, he ponders his life and he contrasts his own life with the fate of his enemies, he says, and his evil assailants. Finally, in verses 12 through 15, you can see the psalmist through a series of similes, metaphors. He, he states the reality of the righteous. He just states it. Boom. 
He is the righteous. And he, he makes these series of statements. And he shows the reality of the righteous, their future, the purpose for which Yahweh has allowed them to prosper, to flourish. He gives us a series of word pictures. And they're obviously in stark contrast to the wicked. And it's here at the end of this psalm in verse 15 that I propose we find a second declaration of dependence that the righteous will announce. He says that the Lord is upright. He says, he is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. This idea of upright, Yashar is this idea of something that is perfectly level, straight, smooth. You know, any of you that have bought a um, pool table, if they do it right, they level that pool table so perfectly so that when you put a ball on it, it doesn't roll anyway. And when you shoot it, it's true. The Lord is pictured in the same way. He's perfectly upright. And that's the whole purpose of the flourishing of the saints of God and all of us in our lives is ultimately to make this declaration that in one sense is a declaration of the goodness of God. But I want you to see that it's more than that. It's really a declaration of dependence. He is perfectly upright. He's our rock. He's our unmovable fortress. So what's the big deal about worship? I want to give you a quote. At the beginning of his book on missions, Let the Nations Be Glad, from Psalm 96, some of you know the very first sentence that John Piper says, that he writes. And he makes this profound statement. He says, missions exist because the worship of God does not, or worship does not. So my first point this evening, um, as we go through the text quickly, is this. is simply that it is good to worship Yahweh. That's verses 1 through 3. Our worship includes at least three things, and we've seen this. First, the giving of thanks. And we say, we just say it this way. It is good to give thanks. Say that with me, if you will. It is good to give thanks. To who? Yahweh. The verb for to give thanks is this wonderful word. I was telling someone about this the other day. Yada, which is related to our words for hand, yad. So the very idea of giving thanks is this idea of lifting hands, of acknowledging that all that we have is from Yahweh. Even Paul says, right, why do you boast when you have something as though you did not receive it? We are debtors to God. And even the word forgive thanks communicates this. Let me ask you some questions. Are you thankful to God? Does that characterize your life? Or are you an ingrate? Are you just grumbling? Here's a true axiom. I am thankful to God to the degree I consider all his benefits to me, especially the cross of Christ. That's why the psalmist says, what is his prayer? He said, let's not forget all his benefits. 
To illustrate this point, I want you to think about the time when Jesus met a group of ten. On the way to Jerusalem, Luke writes in Luke 17, he, that's Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his feet, face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. When we understand what God has done for us, thankfulness is a normal response. And so it's incumbent on us as the people of God to always be bringing up, reminding us of what God has done for us. I was talking to Cheryl about this, about the idea that even professional athletes that are that make millions of dollars, like a Kobe Bryant for the Lakers, every day goes, and what does he do in the gym? Swish, swish. He, does, he keeps practicing the same things over and over, even though he's proven that in big game moments he can do it. And I say for the Christian, we need to practice this art of thankfulness by remembering, bringing to our remembrance, preaching the gospel to ourselves from morning until night, all that God has done for us. It is good, the psalmist says, to give thanks. Secondly, our worship needs to include the singing of praises to God's name. By the way, if you cannot sing enthusiastically, Or genuinely, should you keep singing? Yes. Amen. That's right. By the way, to our musicians, thank you for the way you contribute to our worship. Keep doing it skillfully. Understand that you're actually helping us obey the song. Thank you. And it's to God's name. The psalmist says, not simply it is good to sing praises, but It's to sing praises to your name, to the name of God. What name does he give? Elyon or Most High. What is more personal or significant than a name? The psalmist can sing praises to God's name only because God is Most High. And I would say enjoy thinking as you worship of the different names of God. Can I hear some just for a moment? Some names of God. How about Emmanuel? God with us. How about someone else? Jehovah Jireh. What? Yeah, very good. El Shaddai. Good. Elohim, good. Adonai, yeah. Someone else? I am. I'm sorry? 
Alpha and Omega. Very good. Prince of Peace. Right. Very good. It is good to sing praises to your name. Thirdly, I want us to see that in our worship we declare the steadfast love, the chesed of God. And it's simply the covenant love of Yahweh. It's the most special love of all. It's his steadfast love, his loyalty, his faithfulness, his loving kindness. When God is giving the second of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 6, he says that he shows steadfast love. There's our word, chesed, to a thousand. In Lamentations 3, a couple of verses we're all familiar with, the writer, probably Jeremiah, says, the steadfast love, the chesed of the Lord, Never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And we see in verse 4. Why it is good for me to worship you. That's how the psalmist would say it. God, this is why it's good for me to worship you. This is why I've intended To give thanks to you. This is why. I want to sing praises to your name. This is why I want to declare. From the rising of the sun. To its setting. Your steadfast love. Because you. O Yahweh. Have made me glad. By your work. At the works of your hands. I sing. For joy. By the way, these are intensive words. I want you to understand this for a moment. These are intensive verbs about you have made me glad. That is not simply that I've got this little subtle smile on my face. I am really happy. It would go something like this. And I want to translate this for you for a moment. I want to do this. When I think about all you have done, oh God. I am just beside myself. I am enthralled. I could not be happier. And I will sing, no, I will shout for joy at the top of my lungs with all my heart when I think of your accomplishments. The whole sense of these verbs is intense. It's active. It's not disinterested and passive. There's no embarrassment. Monday, I was at the Greenville Drive game. We took some clients. They were giving away free T-shirts. All you had to do was be the most excited person in your section. And later I had to apologize to these folks. I was with them. They said they'd never see this side, this side of me. But I jumped up and screamed like it was the end of the world because I wanted a free T-shirt. And I wasn't ashamed of it. That is the type of emotion the psalmist says he has in response to God. He says, you have made me glad. And I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. It is like this. If you have ever sat or stood next to someone who cannot really sing that well, but they are praising God with a whole heart, that is glorious. Okay, you understand that. If you have ever been at a baseball game and you're singing the national anthem and most people are barely doing the words, but you have someone who with no shame is singing it because it's his country... You understand, and that is exactly the spirit 
of the psalmist. This intense gladness is like someone who's just been accepted into a school they really wanted to go to. You open your mailbox and it says, it's the color of the school, there it is. It's just when you thought it'd come. And it says, congratulations, we are pleased to inform you, you have been accepted into so-and-so. It's like when you're united with your wife or husband because they've just been gone too long. I think our pastor relates to this. It's like holding a sweet little grandchild who's just like dessert or an intoxicating drug to you. And as Helen and Glenn just experienced when Catherine said, I want to go back to Greenville with you. That brings joy to your heart. That's the type of gladness. And you just savor every smile and expression And you want them to be indelibly preserved as you look at that sweet little face. It's like a vacation when you are completely exhausted and you need to have a rest doing nothing. It's like a wonderful home-cooked meal when you're absolutely starving or you've been eating cafeteria food for nine months at college. You get the point. This is not passive. It's active. Look with me now as we turn to verses 5 through 9. I want you to see in verse 5, the psalmist sets us up. He says, how great are your works. And he says, your thoughts are very deep. And it's giving us this kind of vertical sense. You're great. Your works, they're just so high. Your thoughts, they're just so low, so deep. And then he shows us that the enemies of God about their fortunes. They're only temporary. They appear to flourish. And you understand if you ever had a yard that does this, looks great in April and May. And then by August, right, when all the, every weed known to man has taken over your yard, and it's the dog days of summer, and your yard is begging for water, It just goes away. That's what the wicked are like. Yet God, he says, is on high forever. Let me ask you a question, an and just an application question. Are you paralyzed with envy? Sorry, forgive me while I mess with this just for a minute. I think I knocked it off. Are you paralyzed with envy over the apparent good fortune of those who don't know God? Do you ever think to yourself, some people get all the luck? You ever say that? They're just so lucky. You might not say it, but in your heart you think it. Let me remind you. What the psalmist says here. He says, behold, your enemies, O Lord. Verse eight. Behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. You see, the psalmist confesses what God already knows. And I want you to think about just that for a moment. It's as though for a moment in verse nine, you would think that he's informing God of something as though God doesn't know it. I want you to think about that. Hey, God, I want you to know your enemies will perish in case you didn't know. Think about this. 
When I praise God, when you and I praise God, we tell Him what He already knows to be true. Hopefully, men, we do this with our wives. When we say, honey, I love you. When I tell Cheryl that, I don't tell her that because like, that's the first time that she doesn't know it. I tell her what I hope she already believes. When I confess my sin to God, when I agree with God by telling Him how I've sinned against Him, what He surely already knows. Look what John says when we've done that. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, God is not someone that we need to fear to be honest with. Have you ever worried about what you might tell someone because you thought, what are the, how are they going to use this against me? Do you understand? We don't need to be that way with our Father in heaven. That's the God we worship. When you pray, are you honest with God? Do you pray as though He doesn't already know your life? Or do you pray honestly? Be honest with Him. Well, fourthly, in verses 10 and 11, the psalmist considers his own situation. You know, he says, but you've exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You've poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. You know, he sees himself kind of in a similar predicament as God. He sees God's enemies in verses 5 through 9. He sees his own here. Remember in Psalm 23 where David says simply, you anoint my head with oil. Think about that. You anoint my head with oil. What are these pictures of? What's that, what does that symbolize? Strength. Blessing. Anointing. Abundance. You know, in 2000, we were, about the end of September, we were in Yellowstone National Park out in Wyoming. And, you know, the buffalo really do roam there. Okay. And this time of year, these things, they'll get in the road. 2,000 pounds. And they honestly think they have the right of way. Well, and so you're kind of a little bit playing as cat and mouse and you're trying to honk at them, get close to them, hoping they'll move. But having been out of the vehicle where 20 or 30 yards away, there's a 2,000 pound buffalo with this tremendous set of horns, shaggy fur, and you know that if it's between the two of you, you're going to lose. You understand a little bit the symbol of strength. And the psalmist is saying, hey, I'm just like that buffalo. You've endowed me with that much, God. You've given me strength, blessing, abundance. And it's this picture of enough. It's, picture, it's a picture of hay in a field so high that the cattle don't even need to bend down to eat it. It's tickling their undersides. Do you express satisfaction with God for everything in your life? If someone were to ask you, how are you, how are you doing? Can you honestly say, 
better than I deserve. Can you say that genuinely? You know, that's the language of just moving the river of the grace of God. You know, pastor preached from Hebrews this morning. He talked about how the Lord Jesus Christ was beset. He was surrounded with this idea of weakness. Let me ask you a question. Do you live as though the love of God, the grace of God is all around you, under you, over you, spilling over? Do you respond to others that way? Lastly, I want us to see in verses 12 through 15 the future of the righteous. Look at these pictures. He says, they flourish like a palm tree. They grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. They're a picture of fruitfulness. They're a picture of life. They create this look of endurance. And they all prepare us for a second and final declaration of dependence. We've seen that the first declaration is just that from morning to night, from first breath until last, I live, I move, I have my being. In you, O covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, in your covenant love, your chesed, which is perfect. It's never failing. But here's our second declaration of dependence. It's just that we declare He's upright. He is so on the level He's so just. He's my rock. He's unmovable. If you're like me, when you find a big rock, you like to stand on it. There's something, even when you're 50 years of age, you get on a big rock, you just want to stand on it. It's amazing. It never moves, does it? That's how the Lord is. And he says, there's no unrighteousness in him. I want to leave you with a series of questions as we close. Does your worship of God include thanksgiving? C.J. Mahaney, in his book on humility, talks. Great application at the end of the book. That when we wake up, this is what he suggests. When you are first conscious of waking up in the morning, you breathe. Oh, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this steadfast love. You have let me live through another night. Today is your day. Help me walk all day in your your grace. Thank you for the chance to live under the cross of Christ one more day.
to live as a worshiper of you. When you're here in worship and you're singing praises to the Lord, do you, do you attempt to sing genuinely from the heart? Or do you distinguish and say, I really don't like that song. I'll wait to the next one. Do you declare to yourself and others the chesed of God with the morning and with the night? You know, I was talking with Ray and Chrissy Parker at the end of the service this morning. and I think most of you know her brother passed away three weeks ago. And for her, it is the steadfast love of God to know that perhaps in the last six weeks of his life, God saved him. That's just a step. Oh, God, you are full of loving kindness. Do you speak that to others? Are you glad? Let me ask you this. Are you really glad with God? What is it that makes you jumping up and down glad? Shouting and singing with joy type of glad? By the way, listen to this for a moment. Have you ever walked into a room or in any situation and someone greeted you with these words, I'm not happy with you? You ever had that experience? <laughs> How do you greet God in the morning? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? How do you greet God in the morning? Is it with a praise of his steadfast love, his chesed? And how do you respond to the apparent prospering of those who are lost? Are you envious? Or do you pray for them that they might believe the gospel? Even in our own community, this guy that's been arrested for running his Maserati through a road and killing someone. Do you think, I hope he gets what he deserves? Or would you hope that God would so open his eyes to the forgiving grace of God? How do you view him? Do you see the lines falling to you in pleasant places as David speaks of in Psalm 16? How are you ordering your life for the next 20, 30 Fifty years. Will you be flourishing? Will you be full of sap and very green with only one love, only one passion in your eyes? To declare this as your declaration of of dependence. Yahweh is upright. He is my rock. And there is no unrighteousness in him. If you don't know, just for a moment, I want to speak knowing that anytime we're together, there are some of you that are coming to faith in Christ. There are some of you who are wondering, am I a Christian? Here's a question for yourself. Do you prize, do you treasure God?
His presence, His steadfast love, His word, His worship. Do you treasure it? And by that, I don't mean do you do it perfectly. This is not in the absolute sense. The question is, is that a priority in your life? Okay. And we've got to be careful in looking inward and looking for perfection to answer the question, am I a Christian? All right. The question is, is the movement of your life that to give thanks to the Lord is good? To, the, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, is good. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and in the night is good. That's the better question for you to ask. And if it is, keep moving forward and saying, God, confirm in me by your Holy Spirit that I've come to know your Son. Well, may the worship of God and our own declaration of dependence be true through all the church. Let's close in prayer. Lord Yahweh, we confess that we are completely dependent on you. Help us live that way. Help us live with thankful hearts. Hearts ready to sing praises to you with passion. Hearts ready to declare your steadfast love from the moment we wake to when we go to bed at night. Oh, confirm your church as the ones who've been called to worship you to declare your excellencies for us who've been called from darkness into light. We bless you. We bless your Son, your Holy Spirit. And we pray that the Lord Jesus Christ might reign as King in our hearts and in His church forever. We bless you, our God, and we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.